Please remain standing in honor of God's Word. We're continuing on through the book of Proverbs, and this morning we'll look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 19. Proverbs 6, beginning at verse 1. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, constantly sowing discord. Therefore calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that as your word goes forth this morning, it would do so with great power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction, so that we may grow in wisdom. And our lives may more reflect more clearly the image of Jesus Christ. And may your name be glorified. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's a story about a country preacher. And every Sunday the message was the same. He would speak about the love of God. There was a man who was new to this church, and after attending for about a month and a half, he talked to the preacher after the service, and he said, I've been attending for a little while, and I, I noticed that every week I come, you, you speak on the love of God. Why, why is that? And he said, well, a while ago, I preached the message on the evils of chicken stealing, and I noticed it dampened the enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of messages on chicken stealing. It addresses specific sins in our lives, and because of that, it can make us feel uncomfortable, and it can dampen the enthusiasm of the congregation. But this is the kind of deep preaching that we need. Now, what do I mean by deep preaching? I don't mean that Proverbs delves into the details of doctrines like justification or 
predestination or even double predestination like the book of Romans does. But what it does deeply delve into are the issues of our lives. Like listening to mom and dad. Like not committing adultery. Like trusting God with all your hearts. Or walking in the fear of the Lord. Honoring God with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop, etc. Our text this morning is another one of those that will penetrate our hearts if we're open to God's word and the work of the Spirit. But under the blessing of God, I believe that it will indeed help us grow into Christ's likeness, which will bring glory to God, but it also will be for our good. We will benefit greatly when we walk in obedience to the commands of God. Now, for the good of the Son's life and soul, in this text, Solomon has three serious warnings that he is passing along to his son. And if you're taking notes, here are the three serious warnings. The first warning is a warning against putting up security. The second is a warning against being a sluggard. And the third is a warning against deviously sowing discord. So the first warning against putting up security. Verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given pledge to your stranger. Now, some of you are probably wondering, what is putting up security? What, what is giving your pledge to someone else? Uh, one commentator stated it this way, and I thought he did a good job of just summarizing it and not getting all, into all the nitty-gritty of the Old Testament. He said, it is co-signing a loan. It is putting yourself up as collateral. It is underwriting someone else's speculative risk. It is getting into a partnership when your partner's defaults can bring you down. We find the same morning in Proverbs 22, 26, and 7. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts, if you have nothing with which to pay. Why should your bed be taken from under you. And the idea of your bed being taken from under you is that everything could possibly be taken from under you. If you are foolish and co-sign a loan, for example, that you can't repay. Now, here's something you need to understand about the Old Testament. In that context, you could put yourself as a person up for collateral. But that meant... If you couldn't pay the bill, you would become the other person's slave. We find an example of that in 2 Kings 4.1. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, the prophet, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared God. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Thankfully, Elisha intervened on her behalf, provided her with money so that this never occurred. But it could have. So irresponsibility in putting up security or giving pledge could turn ugly really fast, which is why the father goes on to say in verse 2 and following, 
If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Son, immediately go, hasten. I can hear the father, make haste, make haste. What are you waiting for? Go at once. And that word hasten could also be translated humble yourself. That's what I have in the footnote of the ESV. Humble yourself. The commentator Mike, Michael Fox says it could be translated grovel. <laughs> you do whatever you have. Swallow your pride. Humble yourself. Go before him. If you have to fall down on your knees, do that so that you can set yourself free. Whatever you have to do, go. Plead urgently. That could also be translated pester, badger. Please, 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 I'm begging you. Let me have my life back. Do whatever you have to do so that you can set yourself free. Now, just to clarify, putting up security is, is not an absolute command. Uh, the Bible does give guidelines for putting up security for another person. You can do that. You can co-sign alone. That's not absolute. In fact, the Bible encourages us to be generous, especially to the poor. Deacon's fund is a, is a biblical idea. Be generous towards the poor. But at the same time, it does come with warnings. You could be generous and hurt yourself and your family in the process, and that certainly is not wise. In fact, sometimes being generous to another person can cross a fine line, and you actually enable their irresponsible behavior. I think the, the principle that we find in Proverbs 19.9 applies to many issues. But here's what it says. A man of great wrath, anger, will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. You rescued him and he, he didn't learn the lesson. Sometimes people have to deal with the consequences of their behavior so that they can learn the lesson, and then the next time they'll think twice about doing what they're doing. It may not seem compassionate, but there is a place for tough love. Even God, the perfect heavenly Father, disciplines his children whom he loves because he wants what's best for them. So we have to be careful here. Again, this calls for, for great wisdom. And some people have foolishly co-signed a loan, gone into a business partnership with the wrong person, and the consequences have been devastating. Ray Ortland writes in his, his book on Proverbs, a friend of mine made this mistake. He was at home one day when a man came by to ask him to co-sign a loan for $250,000. You can see where this is going. <laughs> the bank wanted more security. My friend thought, he's a good guy. I care about him. I don't want to disappoint him. And he signed it. Then the man went belly up 
and the bank came after my friend. He lost $100,000 in cash. And the bank did not let up on him until he begged them not to throw his wife out of their house. He had jeopardized his wife's future. Thankfully, he repented for God, and over the next 10 years or so, God graciously restored the lost money. But it took 10 years or so because of this foolish decision. And Solomon loves his son. And I was thinking about this situation, I was wondering, does this happen very often? It probably doesn't happen very often, but Solomon knows if it does happen, the consequences are devastating. So that's the first warning against putting up security. The second warning is against being a sluggard. Verse 6, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. This sluggard, who was made in the image of God, who has been called to exercise dominion over God's creation, including the animal kingdom, is living so far beneath his dignity that Solomon essentially says, you are so lazy, you could learn a lesson from the ant. Look at that ant. You could learn a thing or two from him. And what could he learn from the ants. Well, first of all, he could learn self-motivation. Look at verse 7. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, this ant goes to work. Isn't that something? Without mom or dad saying, it's, it's time to get up, go to school. With, without the coach saying, why, why are you loafing? Hustle. Let's go. You can run faster than that without a supervisor at work saying, where's that task I entrusted to you? I'm waiting on it. You're holding things up. When do you think you'll have it ready? The ant, without anybody over it, is diligently working. And this sluggard could learn a thing or two. If you need to set your alarm, set your alarm and get to work. Look at the ant. No supervisor over him, hounding him. Go to the ant. The ant will also teach you to prepare for the future. Verse 8. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. There's a picture. You got the ant in the kitchen. (laughs) Baking bread and then going out in the back and harvesting the crop. Now, obviously, Solomon is using anthropomorphic terms here to describe the ant, such as preparing bread and bringing in the harvest. And of course, to bring in the harvest in the fall, what does that assume about what you did in the spring? (laughs) You planted a harvest so that there was something there to harvest when fall came. The ant does that. I have no idea how the ant does that. If you have a degree in antology, maybe you can let me know. But the ant does that, and the sluggard could, could learn from that. Now, here's something I think we need to understand about being a sluggard. This is a character issue. This, this, go, this goes to our, to our heart. 
Proverbs 15, 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is level highway. If I were to ask you, what's, what's the opposite of being a sluggard? My guess is that many of you would say, well, obviously someone who works hard, someone who is diligent. And while that's true, that's not what the author says here. The opposite of being a sluggard is being a person who is upright. We see the same thing in Proverbs 21, verses 25 and 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So on the one hand, we have the sluggard. On the other hand, we have the person who is righteous, which means that laziness always entails some level of unrighteousness. It comes out, even when you think it doesn't come out. Like when a lazy person offers excuses. I like this proverb, 26 verse 13. The sluggard says, not the coward, the sluggard says, there is a line in the road. There is a line in the streets. See what the sluggard's saying? I can't go out there. It's dangerous. There's lions out there. There might even be tigers and bears out there as well. I don't, I don't know. I can't go out there. It's dangerous. What is he doing? He's offering excuses, and he's not being honest. If I can be straightforward, he's actually lying. There's not a lion out there. You just don't want to go out there and do the work that you're called to do. That's the problem. Now, here's what I would say, just as very practical advice. Don't make excuses. Be a person who never makes an excuse. Even if the dog does eat your homework. <laughs> Teacher, I should have had my assignment ready. It's my fault. I'm willing to accept whatever consequences you have for me. If you're late to wherever you're, you're going, just say, I'm sorry. I should have been here on time. Please forgive me. And just leave it at that. You say, well, what if I was in a car accident taken to the house? Well, maybe, okay? But what I'm saying is, if at all possible, you don't want to offer excuses. And this is what man has been doing since the beginning of the time. Literally, right? You, you remember Adam, right? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which I commanded you not to eat? What does Adam say? The woman that you gave me, she gave me some. In other words, not my fault. It's her fault. God, it's even your fault because you gave me this woman. If you had given me a woman that wouldn't do that, I never would have sinned. Very first time he's confronted with sin, he has some kind of excuse. Here's a great saying. I don't know if you've heard this. Excuses only satisfy the person who's given them. You ever have someone give you an excuse and you're just like, yeah, no. Okay? You, you don't, you don't want to be that person. Okay, now, on the positive side, as a person who works hard, and we have a great example in the book of Proverbs in chapter 31, if you want to 
turn there, and this is the example of the wife of noble character. Sometimes we refer to her as the Proverbs 31 woman. And I find it fascinating that what the author highlights about this woman, more than anything else, if you're just going by the sheer number of verses, is he highlights how industrious she is. Look at Proverbs 31, beginning at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Isn't that something? This is a hardworking woman. She gets up before the sun is. She stays up after the sun goes down. She's out in the field working hard, running a business. Isn't that something? This woman's a hardworking woman. She probably sweats a lot. I'm glad my wife's not here. She sweats a lot when she's work. But you know what I said? Sweat is sexy. I'll take a woman who sweats because she's working hard than another woman who's not breaking a sweat because she hasn't lifted her finger to help. I'm not kidding. Sweat is sexy. It's a sign of hard work. And the author is pointing out, look at how hard this woman works to provide for her family and a lesson a son. Find yourself a woman like this and marry her. And ladies, you want to be this kind of woman. He's not done. 22, she makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. That's a picture of majesty. She's got her family clothed like they're queens and kings. 24, she makes linen garments, sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. This lady is not sitting on the sofa watching soap operas eating bonbons. This gal is not idle. She is hard working. And what is the result of this hard working woman of noble character? Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Of course they do. They sing her praises because of how she takes care of them. And how does this section end? And by the way, this is the inspection of the entire, or excuse me, the end of the whole book of Proverbs 31. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. This woman is known at the gates where those rulers and authorities reside. What's 
What a wonderful example. The results of your work, will it bring praise or will it bring poverty? Sluggard's lack of work resulted poverty coming upon him all of a sudden. The difference isn't hard to figure out. It's just hard work. A while back, I saw two different golfers interviewed. The one was Tiger Woods, and I didn't recognize uh, the other one. And each one of them were asked, what, what is your daily routine? Can you tell us your, your daily routine? And, and Tiger Woods said, I used to get up in the morning, run four miles, then go to the gym, do my lift. Then I'd go hit some balls for about two to three hours. I would go play, come back, work on my short game. I'd go run four more miles. And then if anyone wanted to play baseball, or excuse me, if anyone wanted to play basketball or tennis, I would go play basketball or tennis. That was my daily routine. Another golfer was interviewed, and he was asked what his daily routine was. And he says, hit balls for maybe 20 minutes, putt a little, smoke four or five cigarettes, drink three Diet Cokes, Cokes, and go to the first tee. Some days I wouldn't even go to the range. So I mentioned I, I recognized Tiger Woods. I didn't recognize the other golfer. Do you know why I didn't recognize the other golfer? I just told you why. <laughs> because of their habits. It makes all, all the difference in the world. Now here's a question I have. Are you... And I ask myself the same question. Am I willing to work for the gospel and God's glory like some men and women work for golf and their own glory? That's, that's the question. Now, this, this isn't a call to sanctification by sola bootstrapsa. You know, this isn't, ah, I got to try a little harder. I got to work, work, work. I got to set my alarm back further. Get up early. I got to do it. No, we do what we do as Christians by grace. But here's what we need to understand. God's grace is not only intended to save us, which is why it's amazing grace, and we love to sing about it, but God's grace also empowers us to do the work that he's called us to do. I love what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15.10. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. I worked harder than all of them. Talking about the other apostles, I worked harder than all of them. Sounds like he's bragging. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. God gives us his grace through the Holy Spirit, not just to save us. That's the beginning, but so then we can live. He's, is he calling us to live, and we can get to work for his kingdom and his glory. So rise, brothers and sisters. We have work to do. And then there's one other warning. That is against deviously sowing discord. Look at verses 12 to 15. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, 
winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points us with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. Here's the big picture. This worthless man even uses his body language, how he winks, how he points, to employ his perverted heart that is bent on sowing discord, dividing people. Solomon says he's going to pay the consequences. Now, here's something I, I want you to see. This, this is, isn't a son. This isn't a sluggard. This is a worthless man. There's, there's a trajectory there. The first one is a son. The sluggard isn't called a son. He's a sluggard. And this man isn't called a son. He is called a worthless man. We could say it this way. While the son is warned against being foolish and the sluggard is warned against being unrighteous, this worthless man is warned against doing the work of Satan himself. That's how bad it is. And if you think I'm exaggerating, if you have your Hebrew glasses, there's something very significant that we see in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for worthless is Belial. Belial. It's hard to pronounce. That word Belial came into the New Testament, and it is one of the names for the devil. We find it in 2 Corinthians 6, 15. What accord has Christ with Belial? Being a foolish son is bad. Being a sluggard is worse. But sowing discord among friends or family members or the church of Jesus Christ is the work of Satan. This is a serious sin. And it is so bad, the author is saying, I want you to see what God thinks of this sin. It's not that I just have this opinion of this sin. I want you to see what God thinks of this sin. Verse 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Now before we go on, just two quick thoughts. First of all, certain things are an abomination to God. Not every, not every sin rises to the level of being an abomination. Proverbs is going to talk about if a man steals a loaf of bread to provide for his family, he has to pay the price. But he doesn't say such behavior is abominable in my sight. He doesn't say that. It doesn't rise to that level. But there are some sins that are so bad that God calls it an abomination. And we're going to see that here. Second thing I want you to see is, is this phrase, or six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, is meant to draw our attention to the seventh one on the list, which is where the climax is going. So let me read these things that God hates, and you pay attention to the one that comes right at the end. 17, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, 
heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. That is an abomination to God because it just tears friendships apart. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, this doesn't have any illusion, illusion to me, and I am so glad. I don't want to be that person. Maybe not so fast. Let me ask this question. Have you ever gossiped about another person? And remember, gossip is not just lying about another person, but gossip is also spreading bad information about another person that you have no business doing and that they have no business listening to. Have you ever done that? Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer, we could say gossip, separates close friends. Wow. Can't wonder how, how, how many girls in, in high school were, were good friends and then a third party broke that up and, and whispered something about one of the girls and blew up the friendship. That takes place in high school all the time. But it doesn't just take place in high school. It takes place among adult friends, families. It happens in churches. Jim Cimbala, pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, noted that while drugs, alcohol, and adultery have slain their thousands, gossip and backbiting have slain their tens of thousands. And every experienced pastor understands the truth, unfortunately, of that statement. Be careful what you spread. But we should keep in mind what the Puritan Thomas Watson said. It makes little difference whether you carry the devil around in your mouth or in your ear. Not just gossiping. It's not you just being the speaker. But it's you saying, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Or being involved in gossip. And you know it's wrong. You know you shouldn't be listening to this, but you don't put your hand up. You just continue to listen. Proverbs 18.8 says, the words of a, a whisper, again, gossip, are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Proverbs 17.4, an evildoer listens to wicked lips. And a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. We're even warned about what we listen to, what we give our ear to. God says, don't sin with your tongue. But also be careful that you don't sing, sing, excuse me, sin with your ear. Now, why is God so against discord? because he's so passionately all for unity. <laughs> this means that God really loves unity. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Be eager to maintain unity. I've been here over 25 years. Only one time have I been asked this question. I, I thought it was an interesting question. I had never been asked this question before, but somebody was newer to our church, and they said, how's the unity of the church? And I said, oh, that's a good question. That's an insightful question. I, I said, pretty good. And I don't know what this person said, but their response was basically, don't take that for granted. That is the blessing of God. Every single day, I pray that God would deliver us from the evil one. And I pray that he would protect this church. I pray that on a Sunday morning, like now, when we're gathered together, I'm praying that God unleashes the armies of his angels and surrounds this place so that we can be protected. Because the task of the evil one, if he would have his way, would be divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. He's done it again and again, and it's worked. So we need to pray for God's protection, and we need to work to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. One time a woman was on the receiving end of gossip, and she knew it wasn't appropriate. And she said that this woman who was talking to her about another woman said, yeah, that's a problem. We need to go talk to her right now. That'll put an end to it. Instead of saying, tell me more, we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, at this point, I, I know what some of you are thinking. Boy, messages like this really tend to dampen the enthusiasm. <laughs> Maybe next week you could talk about the love of God. <laughs> I can do you one better. We can talk about God's love for us right now. In Jesus Christ. What's the answer to our need for security and for our laziness and for our discord? The, the answer is Jesus Christ. I, I love this verse in Job. Job 17.3. And remember that Job was attacked and he almost, I don't know what he had left. I'm try, trying to picture what he had left. Almost everything was destroyed. You know, the kid's house was destroyed. His, his, his fields his herds. I mean, he's been stripped of all, all that he has, and now, and now he's been stripped of his health. No one wants to come to his aid. No one's putting up security for him. <laughs> That's too risky. <laughs> uh, no offense, Job, but uh, I don't think you're really good for it. So what does Job do? He prays to God. Lay down a pledge for me with you. Who is there who will put up security for me? The EB translation of the Bible says, Be my surety, for who else will pledge himself for me? Isn't that wonderful? God, you be my security. You be my pledge. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, what was he doing? Co-signing our sin loan debt. I'll take care of it. 
charge it to my account. And Jesus said, I'll be your security. And because of that, instead of being enslaved, we're set free. Praise God. How about if we're a sluggard? All of us have been lazy from one time or another. What's, what's the answer? The answer is the perfect work of Jesus Christ. John 17, 4, Jesus praying to the Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Many of us have not done everything that, we, that God's called us to do. We neglected it for one reason or not Jesus. He finished it. Remember what he said on the cross? It is finished. Not just paying for our sin, but everything that the Father called him to do. He did it. He worked perfectly. And because he worked perfectly and gave himself again for our sins, we can be forgiven for our laziness. And how about sowing discord? Even if we've done it in little ways by what we've said, by what we've listened to, what's, what's the answer? We have a God who reconciles. Discord can happen. Friends can be separated. But we have a God who, who restores, who reconciles, not only to himself, but with one another. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Our God is a reconciler. There was discord between us and God. He reconciled us. And God's in the business of reconciling brothers and sisters and other people who fall out with each other. Paul says, therefore... We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love that. I implore you. That's a strong word. Not just, it'd be a nice idea if you want to be reconciled. I implore you. And this morning, with everything that I can muster in the power of the Holy Spirit, I would say to each one of you, be reconciled to God. There's no reason why you have to be separated from God. He sent his son to die for you, for me, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to him and have the hope of eternal life. It's not only good news, I like to call it great news. There is no better news in all the world than the news that you and all your sinfulness, regardless of how deep it is, can be reconciled to God. I implore you, be reconciled to God. Turn to Jesus Christ in faith. And Jesus said, none who come to me will I cast out. He will embrace you. He will forgive you. He will welcome you into his family. Let's close in prayer. Father, how thankful we are for your love to sinners such as us. How thankful we are for Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray that all of us would turn to him in faith.
And for those of us who have turned to him in faith, may we remember that we are saved by faith, but we are also sanctified by faith. So may we live as you're calling us to live in faith and in reliance upon your grace. And Father, I pray for all of us that our lives will be lived to bring glory to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.